Hey there, friends. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to invite you to our next Collaboration Zone Zoom party. This is a free Zoom chat get together with all of my entrepreneur friends in the Rise and Recovery Network, where we can share mind and business growth tips, strategies, and you get to network with other entrepreneurs of all experience levels. So if you want to level up your business and get connected, book your spot today. Head on over to www. The road forward slash collaboration zone. When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hey everyone, how's it going? Tamar here from the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. Now, I've decided that I want to start every show off with a little gratitude. And the reason that is, is because I've gotten myself into a habit of doing an appreciation rant. And a friend of mine learned this from her mentor, so definitely not my idea. But what we do is every day, every morning, we leave each other a three-minute uh, voice memo message, whatever you want to do to get that, but it has to be speaking. And we actually started leaving each other voicemails, but it was cutting off and stuff like that. So leaving a memo, a voice memo is much easier. And we talk about everything that we're grateful for. And I find that when you start your day off this way, it forces you, no matter how tough things get, to always look for things that are grateful. And one of the other things that I've learned through this is even when we're going through negative or terrible experiences, when we force ourselves to look at the positive in any given situation, oftentimes for me, it is noticed in the way that I'm learning to respond to things, right? At one time, if I was upset or mad at someone, you know, I would give the silent treatment, I wouldn't approach them, I wouldn't feel my emotions. And today it could be as simple as I'm really grateful because I was really hurt by a comment that somebody made and instead of getting in my head, I responded. I didn't react, I didn't get angry, I acknowledged my part in things and for that I'm truly grateful. It doesn't mean that it felt good, but you can always pick something positive out of a negative situation and oftentimes it can be how we respond to that situation, right? Our own personal growth. So. I encourage you every single day, pick out something you're grateful for and share it with someone, right? Because when you're accountable to someone else for this, it's absolutely amazing, right? And here's the benefit of doing this appreciation rant back and forth is that not only do you get to share and pick out everything that you're grateful for, but the other person is also sharing their stuff with you. So if you're stuck in your head or you're not feeling good, you get to listen to somebody else and what they appreciate and that can also lift you up. So today, 
I am super incredibly grateful that I'm a podcaster. I didn't even know what a podcast was in early 2019. And at the end of 2019, I actually had my very first podcast called The Road to Health. Now, the reason why I'm so grateful is because it has absolutely opened my world wide open because I met podcasters and they encouraged me to start my own show. I started meeting more people, right? I would reach out to people. I would ask them if I could interview them for my show. I started getting asked to be on other people's shows and it has just opened up this network of incredible people that I am so incredibly grateful for because I have learned so much by meeting all these other podcasters or coaches. It has allowed me to improve on my own skills, right? There's some areas that, you know, I still lack in and each and every time I interview someone new, it's like a little mini education, right? I learn from them. I learn how they've grown their business. I learned how they've improved their lives. And it gives me more and more tools that I can implement into my own life. So today I'm incredibly grateful that I became a podcaster and I've gotten to meet so many cool people. And of course, today's guest is no exception. On today's show, we talked to my friend Sarah Connolly from Tapped in. Sarah shares her story on becoming alcohol free. We also talk about terminology, right? The language that we use. When I came into recovery, I did use the term alcoholic and I still do because for me, being an alcoholic only meant that I couldn't drink the way that other people without alcoholism did, right? It doesn't define who I am because I am so, so much more But for me, that just meant, hey, you know what? This has to be my new lifestyle because I could die, right, if I continue to drink. But we do talk about how it's not the same for everyone. And so I love the conversation we have about that. We also talked about, you know, what worked for her to become sober and alcohol-free alternatives because I think there's a lot of people who that could benefit. For some people, not really. I mean, I look at it, you know, I've had alcohol-free beer Is that something I partake in regularly? I can't. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily the safest thing for someone like me, only because, I mean, I look at coffee, right? For me, I drink coffee for the caffeine. That's the only reason. But some people could drink coffee for the taste. So they could drink decaf coffee. For me, I have never, ever had the desire to drink decaf coffee because it just doesn't pose the same effect. So, you know, it's interesting to talk about alcohol-free alternatives in that manner, right? Because I, I do believe that for some people it can be okay and for some other people it may not be because it's too tempting and it's walking that fine line. So we have a great conversation around that and we also talk about, you know, how her experience has fueled her to do what she does today. So let's listen in. Welcome back, everybody. I'm hanging out with my friend Sarah Connolly today. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm really good. Thanks, Tamar. It's lovely to see you. Lovely to be here. I'm so grateful you're here. So for my audience that doesn't know you, why don't you just introduce yourself and let us know what you do today? Sure. So my name is Sarah Connolly. I live over in Brisbane, Australia, and um, I run the business Tapped In, which is a business for alcohol-free lifestyle And I do a whole heap of things in the alcohol-free lifestyle space, from coaching to speaking. Um, And the website itself is designed for anyone that's interested in 
exploring an alcohol-free lifestyle or for people that are already living an alcohol-free lifestyle and want to meet people with the same way of looking at it, the same mindset. So as you know, Tamar, the whole alcohol-free lifestyle space is quite new. So um, everything's evolving and I'm just kind of putting things out there and seeing what resonates with people and, and what works and what doesn't. And I love what you do, especially in terms of changing the language that we use, because I know I have to be mindful of that because not everybody has my background. And, you know, we're going to get into that a bit later. But I usually, you know, whenever I share my story, I'll share about what life was like growing up, because there seems to be this perception that anybody who has suffered from any type of addiction or, or adversity has had a traumatic um, upbringing. And that, of course, wasn't the case for me. But what was life like growing up for you? Yeah, look, um, overall, I had a pretty uh, not, not exciting upbringing. There's no major traumas or um, abuse, anything like that. But my dad was a very unhappy man in his youth when we were young and so my dad always drank a lot and I, I do remember him being out a lot and coming home and not being normal <laughs> um, very late uh, so dad was definitely somebody who when times were tough he would drink and so I, I, I made that connection really young that alcohol actually wasn't something that I was interested in because I didn't like what it did to my dad so it's very interesting because I really stayed away from alcohol for many, many years because of that experience and because of seeing the way that it affected my dad. Um, he was very angry and very depressed. So whilst we didn't have any trauma per se, certainly his um, behavior affected me quite deeply when I was young. Yeah, understandable. Now, you know, you hear that a lot because I know a lot of um, people in recovery um, where their children actually did manage to stay away from alcohol because their parents had troubles with alcohol. Now for you, when did you start getting into alcohol and, and when did you realize it was a problem for you? Um, I really didn't start drinking until after my kids. Prior to that, I definitely drank, but it was never something that I had to do. Um, I always sort of felt take it or leave it but once I had my children and I came out of work and I was bored at home frankly um you know dealing with the the intensity of new babies and all the stuff that goes with that um I started to drink with the mummy culture which is huge in Australia the mummy wine culture and it's the go-to come on let's have a wine everything will be okay and um, so I started then, I think, really importantly, to use alcohol to change how I was feeling when I was down. And I think that was the trigger for me, that as soon as I made that, that neural connection of, you know, when I feel bad, I drink and I feel better, was kind of the start of a slippery slope, as opposed to prior to that was always used to enhance a good feeling. You know, when you go out, you drink and it increases the excitement. Um, once I'd had kids, it became the opposite. It became if I feel down and I feel stressed and I feel low, then alcohol will fix that for me. Um, and that was a slippery slope, which really ended badly for me when my dad and my mum both passed away quite quickly in concession um, and in very intense periods of time. 
where the stress and all of those things that came in spades, you know, with, with grief and um, I was traveling a lot because my parents were in the UK um, and the, that connection between feeling sad and drinking was so strong. Um, and then I just started to use the drinking to solve all of my emotional issues at the time, which were quite extreme. And I think this happens for a lot of people who generally manage their drinking, but then when, the, excuse my language, but the shit hits the fan, <laughs> that's when it starts to become dangerous because, and as particularly if you come out of your routine, because I was, I had no, I wasn't working, I was traveling, I was on my own, there was no accountability, nobody was watching me. And then it became just easy, airport lounge, get drunk, on the plane, get drunk, get back, you know, and it just really spiraled from there. And I think once you get a sense of not having to feel your emotions anymore, it's, you know, because somebody, a guest I interviewed actually last week had said, you know, I started drinking because of my inability to handle my emotions. And when I started drinking at 14, so it was much younger, I fell in love because for the first time I felt confident, I wasn't shy, I wasn't scared, you know, because I was incredibly shy kid and I never felt like I belonged. And that was the one thing that allowed me to feel as though I belonged only because I didn't know self-love. I had no idea how to communicate effectively with people or handle any of my emotions. So, you know, when you finally ended up hitting your bottom, what did early recovery look like for you? What was that key to getting sober for you? Um, the, the moment that I decided to stop drinking was the day dad died, actually, um, because he had a lot of regrets about the way that he lived his life. And I really had this moment. It was like an epiphany of just... I don't want to die without fulfilling my whole potential. It was as simple as that. Um, and from there on, uh, every time I thought about drinking, I thought this is stopping me from living my best life and being the best person that I can be for my children, first and foremost, um, because I didn't want to be that role model for them. I wanted to show them there was another way. So um, at the time, there really wasn't a great deal of choice in terms of how to give up drinking um the, the kind of sober curious movement was really new i didn't even know it existed and i did not know what to do because i i was pretty sure i couldn't do it on my own um because i'd done it before on my own and it never lasted you know i'd done months at a time and weeks and dry julys and all sorts of things and you know, at the time I was like, this is brilliant. I'm so, I love not drinking. And then I'd find myself, you know, the minute that the month, you know, the end of the month came, I'd be like right back to where I was prior to starting. It, and it used to fascinate me. I'd like be looking at it going, I just don't understand this, what's going on here. But it was almost like autopilot. I was just like, that's what I did. So I thought I need some help. I went to my GP and she suggested a two-week rehab program which at the time I thought there's no way I'm not that I'm not that bad <laughs> <laughs> um and actually you know this is the fascinating thing and the fascinating question is when at what point are you that bad and I've come to the conclusion that it doesn't matter whether you are drinking one glass of wine a night or 10 if it's too much for you then there's a problem 
and all the other terminology and labels around that, I, I don't subscribe to. I think people need to check in. It's too much for you. Deal with it. And so that's what I did. And I, I did a two-week rehab program. Wow, that's excellent. And, you know, it's funny because when I used to, when I came into recovery, I would look at other people and I'd be like, oh, I'm not like you. You know, how can I possibly have a problem with alcohol? Because I don't live under a bridge drinking out of a brown paper bag or I've never been hope homeless because I was very functioning. It just became a problem because I went in severe debt, right? My relationships I was are, were failing. Uh, my marriage was everything was falling apart around me kind of thing. So that is what I realized, okay, I got to stop. Like this is not, I, I'm just not a good person when I drink. And, you know, but as a result of really building that foundation in life and learning that I do have a bigger purpose, I actually, because of the experience I had been through, have now found my, my purpose and my calling in life. So how did you find your calling? Because you do some amazing things today for people. And how did it kind of lead up to that? It's interesting, actually, that you talk about that comparison element, because I think that was what was the trigger for me, because as soon as I started to tell people what I had done, the question was always, how much were you drinking? It was that or either I didn't think you drank that much. And those were the questions that were coming at me. And I was thinking, this is this is problematic because comparison is, is not helpful in this space. Um, some of the meetings that I went to when I was exploring, there was very much this sense of who was worse, who was, you know, I was worse than you. And those things are, I think, a mute point. So I wanted to start changing the way that people talked about this so that they felt confident that it was about them, not about everyone around them, not about what other people thought, whether that be judgmental or, um, uh, you know, with all the stigma and everything that goes into this particular space. Um, how, how can I talk to people so that they can feel confident that it's about them and then they can make their own choice and find their own path? and not feel judged, but also not feel like they have to reach some terrible rock bottom point before they talk about it and before they get help. Um, and when that started to kind of simmer, I thought, you know, this is really important because if I had come across this when I was struggling, perhaps I wouldn't have had to go to the extremes that I went to. And it was extreme and I was, it was very confronting and quite terrifying, frankly, being in a rehab um, with people who were way down the path. And for a lot of people, they could look at that and think, well, I'm not that bad. And I think that's really, that was my issue because for a long time I was saying I'm not that bad, but I was living my life at a six out of 10. Um, and I think there's a lot of people doing that. So that was really the sort of catalyst for starting to talk about things in a different way and finding out how can we change the language? How can we present this so that people feel um, confident to talk about it in the same way that's happened in the mental health space, you know, where depression used to be something that people could never talk about. And now everyone's pretty comfortable to say, yeah, you know, we're all human, we all get depressed and some, some of us get more depressed than others. Um, and I think that's the point, you know, it's about normalizing 
Um, and within that, as you know, you know, there's so many different verticals within the alcohol-free space in which I'm trying to, to get that message across. Um, and firstly, really, the alcohol-free alternatives was the, um, the place that I started because I wanted to feel part of life again and social and I wanted to be happy fun Sarah and I didn't want to do that with a glass of water so um, that was how the alcohol journey started. Well, and it's so funny, you know, it, when my uh, partner and I will go out for dinner and, and the waiter or waitress will say, what would you guys like to drink? And the first thing he says is, oh, we don't drink. And I always laugh. And I said, actually, I will have a Diet Coke or something like that. It's like, you know, when you talk about the language, it's like, I'm drinking a, a glass of water right now. You know, I'm. It. why does drink have to be so closely associated with something that has alcohol in it. So I love how you talk about reducing the stigma around alcohol dependency, right? And considering that language that we use. And so for you, I know, you know, alcohol free, I love that word because I am alcohol free today. You know, I do call myself sober as well, but doesn't matter. Like I don't have to label myself necessarily as an alcoholic, right? I mean, there it's my my past has been the key to my success and my future because now I have this gift I wouldn't have otherwise had that I can use to serve other people so can you kind of talk a little bit more about like just the language and also like alcohol free alternatives and how it's helped you sure um well, the language first I think is a very personal thing and a cultural thing um because I know that in um in states in Canada um, the terms like recovery and um, sober are, are just in the vernacular and that's that's what people use. Um, in Australia, I think there's, um, you know, the Aussies, we're pretty, you know, she'll be right, you know. <laughs> Don't take things too seriously in the minute that there's a label or a word, then it becomes problematic and it has a charge to it. So words like um, sober, um, recovery, addiction, um, alcoholism, they, they are in a basket that people cannot relate to if they are what I call upstream which is what I was, you know, I was upstream. I could have ended up in re really bad shit, frankly, um, but I didn't. Um, but those words are scary for a lot of people. And I, I also think recovery has a massive, I personally, and this is just a personal thing, have an issue with the word recovery because um, I don't think that uh, once you've got past an issue that to associate the fact that you're constantly in a state of recovery just doesn't sit with me um it's yeah and it's got con there's contention around it but that is my personal opinion um addiction i think is you know uh, people have i am addictive person i am an all or nothing i easily get addicted to things i don't have an issue with that word but there's certain words that i think don't inspire people. I think that's the point. They don't inspire people to move forward. They in, they encourage people to look backwards. Um, and I'm very much a, a, a big believer in, as I know you are, Tamar, in looking forward, in finding out what is it that's going to replace that 
behavior that's healthier, happier, more exciting, and give you a better future. So um, I'll move to the alcohol-free alternatives now. Um, over here, it's a very, it's a booming industry um, because there is the demand, more and more people are wanting to cut back. Um, it's actually really huge for people who don't want to give up altogether, but just want to, during the week, have something different. And it's evolving and the quality is getting a lot better. Um, as you were saying before we got on the call, though, it's not for everyone. Um, and I think that, again, it comes back to that self-awareness of what is going to be right for you. If you think that trying an alcohol-free champagne is going to make your brain go, hang on a minute, this is nice, but it's not hitting the, hitting the spot, then alcohol-free alternatives I would steer clear of because what you're looking for is a change of state. Whereas what alcohol-free alternatives do is give you an experience that's just different to having a glass of water or a Diet Coke. Um, so it's very much requiring a bit of self-awareness. But for me, it made a huge difference because I am a people pleaser. It's part of my nature. Um, as much as I'm aware of it and try to manage it, it's always going to be there. So for me in social situations, I like other people to feel comfortable as well. And I have found, particularly with my girlfriends, if I'm on an alcohol-free champagne, there's a slightly different vibe to if I'm sitting there drinking water. And actually what's, what's happened has been beautiful is that they now all drink the alcohol-free stuff, although it's slightly irritating because it's a bit like when you were a smoker and then you'd have like the non-smokers, but they'd go, oh, can I have one? And you, just because they were having a bit of fun. And you'd be like, hang on a minute, I buy it. This is mine, I buy this. I put this. <laughs> so I feel like it's like that now, you know, I'm the, I'm the one with the pack of cigarettes and they all just want to have one. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's how it's played out. And, and in terms of um, the people around me, I would say 90% of them are drinking less because, because the alternatives are so good that um, they can now just replace them. They might start with the real thing and then the end of the night, they're on the alcohol-free champagne. So to me, that's, I just love it because I'm seeing people drink less, um, which is only a good thing. Yeah. And I, I think there's a couple things in there. I mean, all of what you said was fantastic, but you know, it's, you mentioned the word recovery. And for me, the reason I called my second book beyond recovery and the podcast, the road beyond recovery is because I always had this idea. It's like, okay, I'm building my foundation. I'm in recovery. Now what? And I felt like I was in this little bubble of this is who I am. This is, and I'm like, wait a minute, I have this burning desire to do more in my life, but I just didn't know what that was until I started exploring that world outside of recovery. And that's why I'm so passionate about helping people, you know, kind of rise in recovery so they can discover that world beyond recovery. Because it, like you said, like, it's the experience going out sitting on a back patio in the, the sunshine, having some beverages of your choice and being able to remember the experience of it all. Because, you know, even with the alcohol-free alternatives, I think really you have almost a better experience because the laughter is like, it's pure. It's not mm -hmm. that, you know, I've got this good buzz going on. I love you, man. You're my best friend. The next day you're like, oh my God, what the hell did I do or say? Like, 
you're actually going home with these authentic experiences you wake up the next day and your heart is full because you're like wow i really had a good time last night yeah it's so true um it's just a, a an incredible experience once you get past i think the challenge and you know it is challenging when you first give up your crutch or your little friend you know it's challenging but um once you get past it and i heard someone say it's not recovery it's discovery and i loved that you know it's discovering a new way of being um and within that there are highs and lows and ups and downs and challenges but once you experience that first event or that first um connection with someone where you're not drinking and you really sit in that and um, and appreciate it and like you say you wake up the next day and i would say hands down for me it's waking up the next day and and just like just sitting in that amazing feeling of i don't have the headache i don't have the regret i don't have to check my phone to see who i texted i don't have to look at my husband and think oh my god did we have a fight last night there's none of that going on and it's just so beautiful it's clear and and um and you feel amazing and that's what stops me from ever drinking again it's not the moment it's the moment after that i focus on how do i want to feel in the morning and then the alcohol-free alternatives just allow me to have you know, it was so funny, actually. I'm meeting somebody I haven't met for ages. Oh, sorry, I haven't met ever. I've met her on Zoom, but I've never met her face to face. And she doesn't drink. And we've connected through Instagram. And she's a big advocate for alcohol-free stuff. And we're meeting for lunch. And she said, where shall we go? She said, we can go here where they stock um, the liars. Or we can go here and we can BYO our favorite alcohol-free champagne. And I was like, boom, yes, I'm meeting a friend. We're going out for champagne, but it is the it's totally different to in the past where I'd be thinking, right, I'm going to get to meet someone I've never met before. I'm a bit nervous. I need to drink. Totally different. Um, but we're still going to drink champagne. How good is that? So good. So good. And, you know, you said something there, like focusing on, right, what you focus on. And I know you like talking about, like, the power of lasting change. And I feel... Like, because I've discovered my purpose and I'm so driven towards the vision that I want for my life, I am making lasting change. And every time I feel like I'm stepping farther and farther away from that old life, I can see it. I know it's there. I know it could cre creep back in. But I finally feel like I'm making that lasting change because of what I'm focusing on. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, we, we become what we focus on and we also become who we surround ourselves with. So I think that's a really important part too, is the people around us. Um, but, you know, if we focus on something we don't want and we're focusing on moving away from something, that's not motivating and it's not lasting. And that's what happens when people are white knuckling through any kind of change, because ultimately there's no desire there to get to something, it's a desire to get away. And, I've, and I focus on with my work, with my clients, with all the language that I use about what are we looking towards? What's ahead? And trying to make that, because we, have, we can't change the past, but we can change the future. And we can change who we are in the future. So how do we make that picture exciting and fun and compelling and beautiful so that we don't want to change our state 
so that we want to be who we are naturally joyfully um and so and you know I, as even as i say that i think that's a big thing for human beings because we're naturally and it's not our fault we're naturally wired to think about the negative to be in fear to be in fight or flight that's our natural state so it takes work you know it really does take work you have to purposefully as tara brock says it purposefully gladden your mind every day try and retrain your brain to look for the good to look for the joy and to sit in it and focus on it and that is a process but once you do that it's like anything it's like going to the gym you just practice you build the muscle you get stronger and um i think that's where a big shift needs to happen because naturally as humans we want to focus on the bad and it's comfortable and we sit and we can easily talk about how terrible we were and all the bad things we did and you know that's a comfort zone and it's not it's not our fault it's just how we're wired Mm-hmm. So um, how do we make that shift and start focusing on, and as you say, Tamar, you know, the purpose, what is the pur- my purpose that brings joy. And if you can really spend time in that, then change starts to happen. And what you're doing is extraordinary over there. And I'm just um, so grateful to have met you and be able to talk to you about this stuff. Yes. And I'm so grateful you can share your wisdom and experience. So one last question before I let you go, what motivates you today? we're going Um, deep now yeah um you know it is I have a a visual in my head it's um that was given to me by a coach um because I was going through a stage of really questioning you know as you do when you're doing anything new you start to question and you think am I mad is anyone really listening out there (laughs) and um he said He told me a story of a man who was going to, um, he went to work, had a shitty job, hated his life, was drinking a lot, um, was really unhappy. He got in the car, drove home, stopped at the pub on the way home, had a few drinks um, before he picked up his kids from school and then picked up his kids, had a car accident, drunk driving, killed his daughter in the car accident. And he was telling me this story and I had tears in my eyes. And he said, but there's another story. He said, that guy, he went to your seminar at work that day and he came home and he didn't stop at the pub for the first time in his life because he'd listened to you speaking that day and he drove home and his children were fine and safe. Now, it wasn't a real story, but when he told me that story, I had goosebumps all over my body. That's what motivates me because we can talk about fun and excitement and joy of alcohol-free living, but beneath that, it will change the world if people drink less. We can't tell the impact of alcohol on society. It's intangible, but it's huge. People are not connected with their children. People are fighting with their spouses. People are being abused. People are being run over in accidents. 40% of car accidents are alcohol-related in America. It's it's horrifying. So whilst I, I focus on the joy, beneath that is a very deep purpose for me to change the way that we live our lives so that we live with clarity and joy and not in this haze and this fog that we've been in for centuries. Um, I know that is going quite deep, but it's an extremely passionate, passionate point for me because 
I believe that what we're doing and what you're doing tomorrow will change lives for the better. I agree. And wow, that was deep. I, I got goosebumps just listening to you. And it's true, right? I mean, you know, after now I've learned how to live a completely alcohol-free lifestyle, I do remember those times. I remember the problems I could have caused that were probably could have been far greater than they were. So I feel very fortunate and very blessed. So um, if people want to learn more or follow you on social media, how can they find you? At the moment, um, we'll go to uh, at sober underscore sommelier, um, which is my Instagram. But the best way to connect now is to go to soberupside.com.au, where you will have a little box which gives you, um, you can type your email in and I'll notify you when the new site is launched. But um, that would be the best way because then you can join the Facebook group and then you can become part of the tapping community. Excellent. Thank you so much, Sarah, for spending time and sharing your journey. And I appreciate you being on the show. It's an absolute pleasure. And thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. And don't forget, if you haven't joined us already, sign up for my free Collaboration Zone Zoom calls. These run every second week, and it's a great way to network with like-minded entrepreneurs in recovery to scale your business. Head on over to www.theroadforward.ca slash collaboration zone and I'll see you on the next call. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible, it just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.